I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. It is uh, awesome to have you guys with us today. Um, and uh, Seth, we're approaching summer, man. This we is good. Are fast approaching this summer. Is good stuff. It's also uh, rough stuff. Some guy yesterday at Smashburger said, Are you ready for summer? And I think I looked at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, does it matter? And, and he said, well, uh, uh, it's like. That's, I, 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 what I'm, I love about that is that's basically what everyone listening would picture that you would say. Yeah, does, does it matter if I'm ready? Yeah. Like does it matter if I'm ready? Poor know, guy's so. just trying to make small talk. And yeah, he's like, well, I'm a native. Dose of reality yeah, coming out. Does it matter you. if you're ready? Because it's coming like a freight train. So here we are. Here we are. Time. Yeah. So, uh, Seth, the last couple episodes have been kind of all about learning, kind of maybe recap the last couple and tell us where we're headed today. So we talked about in therapy and theology, the relational process of learning and how we have to learn from people uh, no matter what. And so it's always to some degree in the context of relationship, connected or unconnected, healthy or unhealthy that we're learning anything. Last week we talked about who we can learn from, how we can learn, uh, how God can use even Balaam's ass to teach us stuff and pagan sorcerers to teach us stuff. We need to be uh, open and receptive from every direction at the same time holding fast to uh, Christ as Lord and Savior. And today we're going to talk about even the limits of some of our learning, limits of our knowledge, and what happens when we don't embrace them. Hmm. The limits of our learning. It's interesting because it almost feels like right now, gosh, lim- learning feels unlimited, right? Like even, you know, whatever that, you know, I don't know if it's still the mission of Google, but at one point their mission was to, you know, organize and make accessible all the world's information. And it's like, that's just compounding, you know, over and over it feels like, how could there be limits to learning? Like I walk in a bookstore and I think I go to the, you know, section I maybe know the most about, which might be Christianity. And I know very little about that relative to all the books on that shelf, let alone all the books in that store. So um, it's weird to even think that our learning could be limited. Yeah. And there's, here's, there's a couple like phrases that come to mind when I think about this. Uh, One is this key phrase, trust the science, capital T, capital T, Capital S. Trust the science. Had you ever heard that phrase before COVID in 2020? I don't know if I've heard it, but I've felt it. You know, but I'm, <laughs> I really don't know. But, but man, was, you start, you sure started hearing it. A ton I mean, of time. Yeah. Trust a couple years ago. the science. As though uh, people start referring to science as this dogma, like a body of teaching. Yeah, you know, it always and, made me think of Michael Scott right, writing a giant check to science. Yeah, to make it out to office, science. Yeah. You know? yeah, or in Seinfeld, make it to the human fund. You know, yeah. like <laughs> the humans, all of them, you know, the right. one, the, those ones. <laughs> and, yeah, the science. What is the science? Is there like a big encyclopedia somewhere that's the science? It's all the established, tested, observed, repeated phenomenon in the world. And also it makes it sound like the science is unchanging. Hmm. And, and so there's this weird kind of duality you see, especially like in – academic establishment types or what some folks call like the elites is there's this simultaneous absolute commitment to trusting the science like the established body of literature Um, but even like when that moves into the media it becomes more of a dogma like and by dogma i mean like teaching that if you diverge from it it's a form of heresy or heterodoxy like how dare you not trust the science as though It'd be like being in a church uh, that believes in the Bible and saying, you don't trust the Bible? Well, you don't? Well, then why are you here? Like that, And, and there's kind of like this orthodoxy and a her- heterodoxy or a heresy that is established. Whereas if you talk to scientists, 
uh, at least ones that haven't been polemicized or uh, developed like a, a media niche, uh, they don't see science as a dogma or an established body of teaching, but they see science as a process. And so the science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. Mm. Uh, studies assert or say things. But even then, part of like the, the work of the scientific process is to attempt to undermine or prove wrong existing dogmas or teachings. That part of science is correcting science. And so... Yeah, even to that uh, point, I, I feel like every time I hear people have like a, a good faith, honest debate about an issue that relates to different areas where there have been different kinds of studies, be they kind of the hard scientists, the hard sciences or more like social sciences, there's always, well, most of the studies say, or many of the studies say, it, it really is, I, I don't think I've ever heard something like that that was like all the studies say, you know, we'll at, take even, at least that, beyond maybe big generalization. So we'll take even like this phrase, smoking gives you cancer. The most, the vast majority of lifetime smokers do not get lung cancer. But everyone's comfortable saying smoking gives you cancer because it's saying what, what you're really saying is smoking generally increases risk of cancer, but there's not the straight line cause effect on any of this stuff. Right. And so we got to recognize and acknowledge that even the correlative relationships that we see, even where we see strong connection to certain things, the world is complicated, multivariable, and there's very little traceable cause effect on any outcome. Mm. And so even if you do get lung cancer from smoking, you can't really say this is from smoking. <laughs> like you get lung cancer after smoking. You can't really assert that because there's so much complicated things going on that smoking dramatically increases risk, we think based on studies, but we can't say smoking causes cancer, even though that's been accepted and marketed and those types of things. And so the limits of correlative, uh, the way of causal realities that we describe and are that the studies are actually correlative are a huge deal. That's a big part of scientific studies that correlation is not causation, but we talk about it all the time and like as, as though it is. And so what, what we see a lot of times is even like as recently as the 1960s, the average presidential debate was given about 40 something seconds of soundbite. Like a president would speak and the media would take 40 something seconds, 42, 43 seconds and play that. Whereas nowadays, or at least as recently as 15 years ago, that's reduced down to like four and a half to six seconds. Wow. And so things that used to have a couple of paragraphs, now you get a couple of sentences and then you get a couple of headlines. And so scientists who understand that there's a process of testing, observing, repeating, hypothesizing, testing, observing, repeating, now are reduced to these sound bites and they're the politicians saying things like trust the science. And it leads to huge uh, mistrust because people acknowledge and recognize the overstatement of these things. So science would be one area, right? If you go, okay, this the whole trust the science, scientism, doesn't really acknowledge that there are limits to our knowledge. What are some other areas where you kind of see, hey, w w there are more limits here than we're kind of admitting? Well, I think if you use science to describe a process of learning, then it applies in every direction, whether mm -hmm. it's human relationships, theology, psychology, anthropology, history. Uh, if, if by science you describe the process of a hypothesized test, observe, repeat, then that's the basic way that we learn all the time. That's how children play, right? You have... That's how two, my two-year-old is learning about paper airplanes. Like, like he's, he's hypothesizing, test, observing, repeating. What if I try it like this? Oh, that doesn't work. What if I try it like this? Oh, it doesn't work. Like that's, yeah. So in one sense, the scientific process or scientific method is how you always learn all the time. That's, you know, you sit down with someone at coffee, 
there's a little bit of like, I think this is how it'll go. I'll share this information in the story. I feel it how it actually went. So there's there's scientific process in all learning, if, if you broadly apply that term. And one of the things I think it's important for us to acknowledge and recognize is just that Christians are pro-science. And there's this huge history of what uh, philosophers call the problem of induction. I don't know how common this term is. Yeah, I don't, I mean, when I think of induction, I just think it's some sort of baking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got a convection <laughs> or, oven, or, or it's a kind of Bible study. And so to induction, induction is a form study. of reasoning. Okay. And uh, philosophers as back, far back as Plato, but David Hume popularized it. They called them the skeptics, uh, really recognizing this whole idea of how do you know what will happen. And so this, here's the idea is, uh, so, so, so by the way here, you're, you're talking about skeptics as like a, a, a school of thought, a category. Yeah. Skeptics not just someone of who's kind of like on everything. You know? Yeah. They're not cynics, not a they're disposition, skeptics. but like an actual like way of thinking. Yeah. We tend to think of skeptics as folks who are like man on the Bible, but they're skeptics of knowledge. Can okay. you know anything? That's okay. David Hume. What does it mean to know something? Uh, and so they're skeptics of the scientific process, meaning you can't really have knowledge. You can just have estimates. Okay. So like take, for example, um, my dad has been alive every day that I've existed. So I wake up in the morning, my dad's alive. Tomorrow I wake up in the morning, my dad's alive. At some point, probably, most likely in my life, I'll wake up in the morning, my dad won't be alive. Or one of you won't be. Yeah. Most likely it'll be him just based on trends you know but right. the science would the, say that. the science would say that, yeah. <laughs> right so so that's the whole idea of i've tested observed and repeated mm. my dad being alive but does that give me certain knowledge about anything tomorrow no so this i wake up in the morning the sun exists wake up the next morning the sun exists i have a hypothesis the sun exists every morning right on and on and on i can test that hypothe- hypothesis for 20 years and the sun is still up every morning do i have certain knowledge that the sun will be up tomorrow well, according to the skeptics, David Hume, problem of induction, we, I can't induce anything about the future from the past because I have examples of inducing things from the past that lead to falsehoods. Like, for example, uh, there's a period in my life where I woke up in the morning and my grandpa was alive. And I tested, observed, and repeated, used the same process for my dad, same process for the son, same process for my grandpa. And so I can't really predict the future on the basis of the past. That's called the problem of induction. So t- tell me this, though. So it, the problem I hear here between that comparison is to go yeah on one hand your dad was always there you know your grandpa was always there until time but the other thing we know is that people die you know whereas we don't know that the sun burns out so here's here's I guess we know that stars burn out so here's the example so um, Nassim Taleb wrote this book called the black swan Uh and he gives us example of there's a period in history where all the swans that people ever observed were white so they had seen thousands, thousands, ten thousands of swans. They're all white swans, white swans, white swans. And at some point, someone went to Australia, and they saw a black swan. So the definition of a swan previously was a white bird, yada, 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 yada. And so his whole point is that no amount of observing white swans can lead you to believe that black swans don't exist. So there's no amount of data, testable, observable, repeatable, that can actually lead you to certain conclusions yeah. that the limits of our knowledge is actually bound up in knowing what's not true, not knowing what is true. Okay. So we can more know with certainty things that are not true, but we can't know with certainty anything that is true. This is called the problem of induction. This is 
people who are critical of science or scientism. So I would say science is a process. Scientism would be kind of like that elite establishment that says the science says that sees science as a total worldview and on and on and on. And so the whole idea. So, the, so, the, so the problem of induction would be people being critical of the scientists. Yeah. Or the problem of induction is recognizing that we cannot test, observe, repeat ourselves into any certain or true knowledge about the future. Okay. And so that leads, so this is like non-Christian philosophical process. Yeah. Right. So there's this entire. So you're, you're not at this point necessarily saying that you embrace that or affirm that. You're just explaining it. You can't know whether I'm embracing it. <laughs> <laughs> the, whole, the whole point is scientism as a secular worldview purports to or claims to or asserts on a regular basis that they have certain knowledge about all types of things. Trust the science, the science says, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm saying there's a different school of thought within the secular academy, within secular thinking, that undermines that and says we don't know anything actually. We okay. only know we don't know some things that are like false. We can have certain knowledge about false things. We can't have certain knowledge about true things. So within the secular worldview, these non-Christians trying to reason about what we know and don't know about the universe. Yeah. We don't know this. So Nassim Taleb would also joke about how people talk about double-blind, peer-reviewed studies as like the the gold test of study of things. You know, and he would say like, "Give me a double-blind, peer-reviewed study that a spear to the skull kills you." <laughs> you know, you can't. Let's test, observe, repeat. You know, he's just sure. joking about how non-commonsensical a lot of this stuff is. Mm. That kind of the gut, old-fashioned wisdom of these people and processes is thrown out the window on the basis of. Test, observe, repeat. And so Nassim Taleb was actually a huge advocate of masks early, early, early in the pandemic before anybody was. Okay. And partly his, his saying like this whole like trust, the science says masks don't do anything. He's like, the science doesn't say anything. There have been no double blind peer reviewed studies on pandemics and masking. You know why? Because we just started doing those things recently. And so hmm. his whole point was like, maybe it'll help. It won't make it work. So his, he was like this whole trust. It's kind of a cover your bets yeah. approach from yeah, it's, him. It's better to. He wasn't saying this is the only thing that will save millions of lives he was just saying hey it's worth a shot yeah, you don't know it doesn't work he's saying you mean something that might slow down the spreading of particles what do you have to lose yeah you know you know take a go out in public and and that's like early on in the pandemic he was like in february of 2020 before anybody was freaking out about it he's freaking out about it and then like so like you see like the, the fallacies of the world going the science says don't mask actually the science says does mask actually the science says it doesn't mask and so what happens is sure. like there's this erosion of trust of quote unquote the science because when people are saying the science they mean double blind peer reviewed studies over time, even though none of those studies are perfect, none of those studies are flawless, and it leads people to go, can we even trust the science? Mm -hmm. And so part of the trend. Well, it's uh, interesting you say that because you know there were a lot of points during the pandemic where it felt like there was, um, you know, increasingly kind of general consensus about different dynamics related to what was going on with the coronavirus. Um, but the, the Fauci's and the, you know, the various scientists, um, they wouldn't come out and say it until it had been studied. So like all those, all the kind of determinations and changes were always kind of late because they had to go through that whole process you're talking about when there was some common sense understanding that you realized earlier, but you know, as you would listen to them interviewed, they go, well, we can't quite say that because it hasn't been determined, you know, anyway. Yeah. So the, the limits of science, both to create common sense, which is an obvious one, you know, like even if you think about 
back in the good old days, 2019, you know, <laughs> if you, if you had flu-like symptoms, you'd stay home. Right. But then it's like, uh, maybe ideally, you know? Yeah, hopefully. But then like what ends up happening is now you have to say the science says if you have flu-like symptoms, stay home. And it's like, well, that was true before the science said it, but now we have to say the science says in order to trust it. But part of what's happening is the other, so we talked about trust science. The other big phrase that when you talk about like history and history of sociology is what we call the, the myth of progress. This view that through scientific innovation, most obviously manifested in technology, we're going to bring about this better utopian style world with no war, no pandemics, no, no disease, no sickness, et cetera, et cetera. Because we so trust the science that we think we're going to usher in basically the new heavens and new earth here on earth. And we're going to basically be up and to the right the rest of human society. And that was around for a long time, you know, in the 1800s in particular, that like the Industrial Revolution were kicking off, that we are going to finally have dominion over the earth like we're supposed to, and it's going to usher this big deal in. Then World War II happens, and basically this whole myth of progress thing, you're like, you realize that technology is not only used to save, but it's also used to destroy, that the good people that evil people, just like good people, can make use of the quote, the science, and mm -hmm. employ it to their benefit. Sure. We thought we were going to, you know, create all these things that were going to solve sickness and disease, and instead we have this this gas that's used to to, to torch and kill and murder, and you have entire science pro like processes basically being developed to figure out how to more effectively burn people alive in Japan and things like this, or not not being discovered in Japan, being applied in Japan. Yeah. And so just the science of warfare, not the science of healing, accelerates. And you see that uh, no amount of science and test, observe, repeat can actually solve the problem of the human heart, which is to desires to steal, kill, and destroy, which is fundamentally satanic. Jesus talks about how we're like our father, the devil, in a lot of ways, and the devil mm -hmm. steals, kills, and destroys. And so this myth of progress that we're going to be up and to the right is undermined in World War II. And then you kind of have what I would say is this period of uh, amnesia, that rather than uh, recognizing and learning a lesson from that, you kind of retreat in the suburban malaise, a suburban paradise, and you kind of leave it to beaver yourself for a while. You just kind of forget that there's global problems, and then eventually you have this current modern era that we forgot. Mm, yeah, uh, we forgot about the pandemic in 1918. We forgot about world wars, and now you have, you know, Russia destroying, attacking, or trying to destroy and attacking Ukraine. You have global pandemics. You have yeah. All, all these nine yards. And so this myth of progress is being undermined. But scientism is all talking about because of human like agency and well-being, we're going to be up and to the right. And so one of the symptoms, the key symptom that I see reacting from this scientism is people are no longer really trusting, not that they ever did in the first place, but they're skeptical about and cynical about um, you know, big pharma, insurance companies, profit motives, uh, this whole like dogmatic approach to science and uh, we're retreating away from this rationalistic empirical process that we thought was kind of governing and going to bring us about into the, the, the next ushering of things that's been dominant in world history for the last 300 years. And there's resurfacing in a lot of ways, these various forms of paganism explicitly or neo-paganism inexplicably. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, pre-COVID and, uh, you know, pre the, you know, trust the science dogmatism, I think it was in maybe 2018, 2017, 2018, the, you know, Webster's Dictionary comes out every year with their, you know, word of the year, and it was post-truth. Right, and that seems like kind of what you're talking about is like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's true. I don't know. You can't test it. Who knows? Like, 
you know, whatever, man, like what, just figure out what works, you know, what works for you, what feels good, what seems to help, what, you know, just try whatever, what's actually true doesn't really matter. Well, you think about how, like take witch doctors and snake oil salesmen that modern people turn their nose up at and like, oh, witch doctors who could buy that stuff and people selling snake oil and basically witch doctors and snake oil salesmen were pushing these solutions that were um, either explicitly spiritualistic, like this will help you keep the demons away, the bad energy, we're getting it away from you, yep. and we're going to use this sage bush, or we're going to use um, this smelling salt, that we're going to use uh, this type of drug-infused oil that you put under your tongue. And it was a ripoff, and it was, you know, these people, it was their means of income, and they they pushed and made tons of money, and there's no data that support its outcome or effectiveness. There is placebo self-reported data that patients report an uptick or patients report and part of the reason that well, but even that you just said placebo self-reported well maybe some of it's it's all self-reported but how do you know it's placebo versus some of it actually worked well the part about the key phrase in placebo effect is effect right your, your sure. mind is incredibly powerful in terms of your outcomes and so uh, changing your perspective changing uh, your your emotional approach to things like those placebo effects can create real effects. And so the difference between a placebo effect and a real effect is typically who funded the study and, and how much money is to be made that you, someone gets a sugar pill, someone gets a quote real pill, both kind of believe they're being given help and you see how much of a difference there is between the sugar pill and the real pill. Sure. So that's the idea of double blind, but back in the witchcraft, Wiccan, uh, snake oil salesman day, they weren't doing double blind studies. They're just, people who would travel around and sell stuff to people and mm -hmm. promise outcomes. But there's no information or data on it making better. There's just kind of community report, um, a, a network of peers who testify to the outcomes. Yeah. And there's not really a big pharma controlling or disseminating. There's not an FDA, that's for sure, who's making sure what gets pushed down through this thing. And we'd call that a form of paganism. It's animism. You know, it's it's a... Uh, it's earthenness, it's energy. And so I talked to a lot of uh, friends lately, Christians and non-Christians, who are increasingly open to, they might not call it snake oil, but there are oils that are believed to have power. Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference between snake oils, like I, I talk about essential oils, I'm like, what's a non-essential oil? Is that like olive oil or <laughs> the oil on my skin, right? And there's like real documented benefits to aromatherapy and various well, forms of these I things. I don't think that's the essential isn't it like the oil is like the the essence? Yeah, essential, inessential, like the essence of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's the oil that is the essence of lavender, not that lavender is essential. Well, you think about essential amino acids, the ones your body can't produce. You know, so so even like the language of essential, you have the essence, you have the essential, non-essential. You have these things help, don't help. You know, lavender aromatherapy can like calm anxiety. You know, smell like the document smells like one of the most powerful things that affect your memory and wow. process through it. Um, and so there's like true benefits to a lot of these things. Sure. So, so make a distinction here then, um, if, if you see one between kind of paganism, because you talked about, you know, there's the like, hey, this will keep the evil spirits away, this will like, you know, that sort of a thing, paganism versus just kind of an alternative approach to medicine or healing or you know, using these good gifts of God. Oh, here's this, uh, you know, here's this peppermint oil that actually, if you rub it on your forehead, like 
will help soothe some of the headache you're feeling like and that's actually just part of what god put in creation you know um you know which of these things is paganism and which of these things is just a different approach that isn't part of the scientific dogma you know thing that's a great question i think part of the whole deal is recognizing that there's an entire approach to human healing that would fall into the scientism category which i think is you know misguided and financially motivated that's not to say that you know i th- i think that god created the world to be sub to subdue it, have dominion over it. That the reason we can even, like the reason I think the problem of induction is not a problem of induction, but it's because God upholds the universe by the word of his power, that all things hold together in him. That the reason that I can make up observations today and believe that they'll correlate with the future is because God created consistency within the world. And yeah. so scientism, I'm not saying pharmaceutical companies are bad, period. I'm saying that there is... What almost sounds like you're saying they're good, period. Like, they're good. If you do these other alternative things, that's just paganism. That was kind of the vibe I was getting. So scientism and paganism are both, I think, a sliver of reality. That might claim to be more. So they're not necessarily acknowledging some of the limits. Yeah, there's scientific process that leads to some true knowledge that has real limits. And so this idea of trust the science... Like, I don't think we should outsource our entire thinking to a financially motivated sector that's going to push pills and drugs that they're actually incentivized to keep us unhealthy because it makes more money. Conversely, essential oils is a $16 billion a year industry that's saying that's like making profit by creating skepticism around big pharma mm-hmm. and saying, here's alternative approaches. Yeah. And, there's, and they're kind of askew because of like scientism's failure to actually deliver on its promises, just whole reaction away. And you have you know, like, whether it's turmeric or essential oils or massage therapy or these things that are not exactly quote Western medicine, unquote, but guess what? God created our bodies to mm-hmm. be formed by the senses, to be formed through the human connection yeah. that there are like other non like, like um, I think about opiates versus marijuana versus, Lavender, right? Mm-hmm. God created all those things to do something to our bodies. Yeah. And you have, like, I would call them, like, generally speaking, like, establishment elites who want to be totally skeptical about anything that, you know, all the benefits of lavender. And you have, like, lavender exclusivists who want to be skeptical of all the benefits of anything that comes from, a, you know, a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And I think this this swing of, like, a neo-paganism, so I'm not going to call it paganism because it's not explicitly spiritualistic, but there is, like, superstition and... Uh, an over cause and effect on both of these side of things Yeah, that uh, but th- like this, this new wave of even like this really popular guy called the liver King. I don't know if you've the heard liver of, King. Have you heard of well, the liver King Luke? I haven't. And he's really popular. So I must be, he's got out a million, a million and a half followers on Instagram. It's more and than he's me. Basically that is a million and a half followers, million more than you. <laughs> Combined. He and I have over a million and a half followers. <laughs> yeah. If you add all three of us, we have a million and a half followers. <laughs> but he, he's this absolutely shredded guy with a huge beard who like lives in the woods and is like modern ways, you know, destroy us. At this point, I'm just guessing all the possible reasons he could be called the liver king. He's a liver king because he eats raw liver. That's what I was going to, that was my most likely guess. That's pretty good. I bet his liver is pretty good. 
like he's probably as good functioning other. It's like, <laughs> but it's like my Maybe. my my kids my kids have allergies. My kids have sickness. My kids are are not doing well because of modernism and big pharma and Wi-Fi signals and. He like has this whole like ancestral living thing that's like these nine symbols that all look like pagan cave drawings, and it's it's all about like back to the woods, get your feet in the earth, and like Mother Earth type vibe stuff. And how many people, as a result of you talking about this on this podcast, are now going to start eating liver only diets and following this cat on Instagram? Probably six to seven. Oh, that's thousand. <laughs> so many. I think you're overestimating our listenership, but uh, multiple people. Yeah. Multiples of multiples, but he's, it's a neo-paganism. It's not an explicit spirituality, but it is a worldview with a vision with, uh, there are villains and there are heroes and there's an entire perspective on life and flourishing and thriving that's being talked about. And I think the reason you have a guy like the liver King coming to prominence, like one, so first of all, notice this at first, he's like, I just want people to be healthy. And then a couple months later, he's selling his own supplements. Sure. Right. Yeah. And you're going, what's the difference between a snake oil salesman and this guy? You tell me, right? Liver. <laughs> yeah. One guy's selling oils, one guy's selling liver. But it, but it's just reality that we, if we kind of want to write people off on the basis of profit motive, like take big pharma or insurance companies or a liver king guy, like we got to write everybody off because everyone's trying to make money and yeah. trying to make a living. Sure. And recognizing that is eating raw liver going to save your life? Yeah. I don't I hope not. I, yeah. But the problem of deduction applies both directions. Sure. But just, I think when we overestimate our ability to explain the world through scientism, there's been this natural reaction towards a neo-paganism that's like a back to the earth separation from modern society. We don't trust the established body of doctrine. And a lot of it has been to do, I think it's been radically accelerated through the COVID pandemic related to who can trust, who can you trust to tell you the truth and who can trust to tell you what's honestly true. Like I was talking to someone the other day, uh, this is someone who's vaccinated, got two shots and boosted, not a vaccine skeptic. And one of the things he says is, I think that he's a, probably in his mid seventies. He's like, one of the things I just lament about this whole like vaccine situation is that the American public was lied to because we were told this vaccine will do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And really it only does X. Yeah. And it's created this entire new wave of like, if someone said, Hey, this vaccine will lower your chance of transmission and reception by 30%. Get it or don't get it. That would have been different. But instead, we're told, like, this thing is a silver bullet. It will solve all your problems. You'll never have problems again. And so we we're oversold. And that idea of being oversold by the science and listening to the science is creating this wave of neo-paganism mm. that I think plays out in a variety of ways, not all of which are bad, but I just mostly I want us to be mindful of this sociological shift that we've gone from there's a pill for everything to there's an oil for everything, or we've gone from um, there's there's a prescription or diagnose everything to like there's a powder or a rub or or a diet that's going to solve everything. And there's this there's just kind of this this shift in things in terms of what's popular and normative. And in different pockets, and different circles, you have a gr groups of people saying trust the science, and you have groups of people saying who cares about what the science says? I can tell you what I've experienced as being beneficial. Yeah, and and it's basically like witch doctors and snake oil salespersons, but with the spirituality kind of scrubbed clean. So it's like a secular version of paganism. That's why I call it the neo-paganism. So um, just like practically, because I, I can imagine people listening to this going like, uh, I don't really, what is he, what's he trying to get me to do or not do? Or right, like imagine that uh, you or, you know, your wife start just having like constant migraines. 
you know, and it's like day after day after day. And, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day who his wife basically every day, every day has a headache. Many days it's a migraine. Like a good day is like four out of 10 pain, you know, and what would you do? You, uh, you know, say you hurt your back or you hurt your shoulder or you hurt something like, do you, what would you do? Would you rub essential oil on it? Would you take Advil? Would you see a doctor? Would you see a chiropractor? Would you go, well, no, it's all can't be trusted or, you know, like how do you, you're not really trying to advocate for a particular form of medical care or something like that here. No. I mean, like we, we take Olivia to a chiropractor to go to our church. Great people. Uh, when Taylor had back pain a couple years ago, she went to Kyle Cherney, who's a physical therapist, you know, and, and he goes to our church and both of those would come from pretty different schools. Like physical therapists tend to be more in the, uh, scientism, if they're prone to a misdirection, chiropractors tend to be a little more on the natural side or the neo-paganism side, depending on how, ne- how negative you want yeah. to paint it, right? But they're you're not saying that of these two particular people, no, but no, just in general. I'm those, saying if if yeah, those yeah. two disciplines are going to sure. trend one direction, like yeah, there's yeah. there's more on like the Western medicine side, more on like the a holistic natural medicine side, and natural medicine taken too far becomes scientism, and you know homeopathic natural stuff taken too far becomes neo-paganism, and you kind of dismiss these totalizing things. But I think part of it is just recognizing that the biblical story of creation, fall, redemption explains the human experience and process better than these totalizing worldviews of the direction, right? The science, uh, the scientism would say that they don't have a creation, fall, redemption, restoration. They have a fall, which is evolution, evolutionary process. And we've got to do our best to like, uh, you know, subdue the chaos, like the world is chaos. We've got to create order out of it through technology. And so if that's your whole worldview, then you're going to go, where's the magic pill for this thing, right? Then there's, uh, and a lot of times folks like chronic migraines and headaches, like none of that ever works and it doesn't really sell anything and you get oversold all the time. It's, and that leads to like depression and anxiety because you're going, I was told this would save everything and I'm not saving everything. And then yeah. on the holistic side of things, there's like different forms of silver bullet, right? You know, all you got to do is, you know, or got to eliminate these 17,000 things from your diet or you got to rub peppermint oil. And there's, there's all this like, over-promising, under-delivering on in a variety of directions. Well, and then I even think about people who might go, well, you know what? It's all bad. You just need to trust God. Yeah. Like this is, you know, don't don't go see a doctor. Don't go see that. You got to pray. Yeah. You have a scientism, you have a neo-paganism, and you have like a fundamentalism that's like rejection of all knowledge that's not in the King James Version or something like that. Yeah. And, and those various problems. But I, I think with, with folks, especially like with chronic pain or we're trying to solve medical problems, you know, do you do a home birth or do you go to the hospital or do you, you know, yeah. hire a lactation consultant or do you use formula? Like there's so many like like real pressing questions on this stuff is to just acknowledge the complexity of God's world and that real insight can come from anywhere. But at the same time, like so many of these sources of insight try to push a totalizing worldview along with them. Yeah. And, and I think that's the and danger. So that's right really now. the rub is not do you take, you know, lavender oil or Advil. <laughs> the real rub is, are we willing to kind of see that that all these claims from all sorts of different directions that claim to be totalizing and all-encompassing and the silver bullet on stuff, hey, it, it's more complex than that. Yeah, the biblical worldview is the big tent that I think makes sense of all these smaller factions within the world. That I want someone to be able to put peppermint oil on their head and say, you know, 
God created the world and he created ways of the mind interacting with the senses and this might be part of helping it heal and to receive that as like part of creation. In the same time, some the same person could take Advil and say, you know, this kind of the process that discovered like the, the way that the nervous system works might help this play out. Also, someone might say like the reason I have a headache is I have tightness in my neck. And so getting some injections that loosen the muscle in my shoulders might help. Or I need a back rub. Or, or maybe drink it, water. Or maybe it's stress and it's generational trauma and you go to therapy. I don't like and that's manifesting in like me being triggered by these environments that there's the, the recognizing that symptom oriented outcomes is, is silly because our symptoms are can have so many variables, so many causes. So many sources of stuff. Like we see this now with Olivia. Like she slept through the night two nights in a row. Wow. And you're tempted to go back the last two days and cause and effect everything. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, Taylor had a friend named Gabrielle come over. She has to come over every day so that way Olivia sleeps through the night, you know. And, right. and you, wa- you want to sure. create like scientific level certainty uh-huh. about everything. And in reality, it's like there's no, like arriving at a true sense of cause and effect about the world is really, really difficult. And there's so little we don't know. And so, like, there needs to be substantial levels of humility before we're selling or working on, uh, you know, evangelizing our solution to other people that in reality might have just worked once or might have just worked for us, or there's uh, just real limits to this stuff. And I think acknowledging just the profit motives that play into that just kind of makes me nervous. And, and I hope that we as Christians can see that the creation fall redemption story actually accounts for and makes sense of and can include all of these various forms of trying to improve the human condition and human process and doesn't have to eliminate them on the basis of some uh, like epistemic uh, over certainty where it doesn't belong. So uh, kind of one more question for me uh, again, I imagine myself listening to this going like you guys are a couple of pastors. Like what you have answers on everything. Like what do you, like who do you guys think you are? You know, like what, why, why should I trust that you know what you're talking about? You know, oh, the the biblical worldview has the all the answers. Well, yeah, but I still want to go to a doctor. <laughs> like, like, what about your limits? What about my limits? Yeah, part of my limits exist in talking to folks who have chronic conditions, and I tell them, go to a doctor, listen to your doctor. And if you're not, if it's not working, listen to a different doctor from a different perspective and get, like, part of, like, the reason you get second opinions is not just because doctors read the data different, but they ha- they approach problem solving with different worldviews, and they approach it with different heuristics and lenses and backgrounds and experiences. So I guess what I'm really asking though is like, what are th- what are the limits of our knowledge as pastors, right? Like if if we're coming then from a from a school of thought, from a you know hopefully a biblical and theological perspective is kind of our training and our background. What are our limits? I mean, the same as everybody else's. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> sure, I'm not sure what you're getting at there. But, but I mean... Well, we, like, do we... Like, I mean, are we offering a totalitizing... I don't know if I even... See, I can't even say the word right. <laughs> They're like, oh, I know what the limits of his knowledge are. <laughs> what about yeah. Seth? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's, it's not coming through, but I just kind of go like... I, I guess my point is I don't want to sit here and go, well, all those other places have limits to their knowledge. But we, the pastors, or we, the church, or we, the theologians, we have all the answers I do to th- everything. So I, I th- think we have real answers, but I think we have to admit there are limits to our knowledge also. Yeah, I do think that theology is the queen of the sciences, to use Ooh, a medieval term. I like that. That the idea of like a total worldview that 
explains the 10,000 foot view on everything is I think what the Bible gives us that their creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It tells us a story from beginning to end Genesis revelation of what has happened, what we're going and those types of things. I think our limits exist mostly not in does the Bible tell us the true story of the world? Because I think the Bible totally does. I think that theologians can apply that generally to some areas, but the limits of specifics run into very quickly. This is why I take my daughter to multiple doctors. Sure. Even though I have a doctor, like when I can say all I want, I have a doctor degree, listen to me. You know, like the joke, <laughs> the joke, like someone's on an airplane, like, is there a doctor on board? And somebody raises their hand, like, I'm a doctor. Like, doctor of what? It's like, doctor of philosophy. And like, well, you're just no help to us. You know, like, how <laughs> that about is a, not what we meant. How about a real doctor? You know, yeah. um, and so that, that type of, uh, like of the, of the mind and the soul, there's a big picture view of how these things fit into this creation, fall, redemption, understanding of the way that the world has operated and functioned. And so maybe that'd be a good future episode of how do you interpret vocation and knowledge and science in light of creation, fall, redemption. But I think where pastors really get mistaken, and this happens sometimes in counseling, I meet with people who go like, my doctor's saying I should do this, what do you think? And most of the time I say, it does not matter what I think. Mm-hmm. You should listen to your doctor, your medical doctor, or whatever it is, yeah. your, your MD or your DO or whatever whatever those different things are, because I think that fields of knowledge are pretty limited. Even like, yeah, well, but even it, like there's it makes me, me think like, because God has all the answers and because we believe that the biblical worldview speaks to all these things, we can, the, the problem is we can start to go and therefore I know what it all is. Yeah. You know, well, I think even like there's a couple of medical doctors who go to the church and they'll from time to time tell me about what they're learning, what they're discovering. Sure. And ask for like connection or resources on various issues, like uh, and so just like that's why I call it practicing medicine. Yeah, and, sure. And so like healthy practitioners of medicine or even uh, science, a healthy practitioner of science, understand that it's a process and a practice. It's not an established body of dogma. And so there's there's humility in the way that even some of that plays out. Well, this is interesting, um, and uh, yeah, man, I feel like even as we have these conversations, I, I bump pretty quickly into the limits of my knowledge and understanding, and, and I think that's why this stuff's helpful. So, uh, man, thanks for uh, thanks for making us think about this. Any last thoughts? No. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, y'all, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time on King & Culture.